What's up, 9.30 a.m.? How are y'all? Yes, amen. Say that again. I like it. My name's Doug. I do get to be one of the pastors for our church, and that lovely woman who just prayed for me is my wife. She is beautiful, and she's patient. She loves Jesus. She really is a godly woman. I'm not lying to you, but there was this one time. So I'm going to tell you about that one time. A few years ago, we were living in Omaha, and our family was a part of the City Light Church there in Omaha, and our church started a new church in Benson, that part of Omaha, and as we started that new church in Benson and we watched it, something began to stir in my heart, and I began to pray and kind of mentally explore the possibility of maybe our family planting a church here in Council Bluffs, like What if God was calling us to sell our house and move across the river and come plant a church with our friends? Now, you got to know, I'm not really the entrepreneurial type. I don't have like a new idea to chase after every week. I'm more of the slow and steady, the tortoise eventually beats the hare sort of guy. But as I was praying about this, it stuck with me long enough. And after a few weeks, I was like, you know what? I'm going to toss this out to Whitney. So one night, I asked her in a very nonchalant way, hey, babe. Do you think like maybe God might possibly be calling us to maybe plant a church and like maybe Council Bluffs? And I knew that my wife had grown up here in the city in Council Bluffs, but her growing up wasn't the easiest of growing up. There was some pain still here in this city. And, you know, there was a river between us and Council Bluffs. And at the time, my wife was okay with that. So that's why I asked her in a very gentle way do you think maybe God might possibly be calling us to maybe plant a church in Council Bluffs? And I kid you not, my sweet, humble, godly, praying wife's response was an immediate no, (laughs) followed by another immediate no, followed by yet another immediate heck no, except she used a different H-E word that we shouldn't record in this podcast. Essentially, what she said to me was, by no means, I don't know what you're smoking, but I'm not smoking it with you. I don't know what you're drinking, but I just want iced water, and I don't know what you're eating, but I don't want a bite of it. Whitney said, by no means. So I, I backed off kind of. I actually downloaded Zillow and started looking for houses in Council Bluffs. And I just tried my best to not bring it up in conversation with her. And uh, meanwhile, God, he didn't back off. Within a couple weeks, God had moved in and spoken to her two different times in very clear ways saying, yes, indeed, he was calling us to plant a church here in Council Bluffs. And here's what I love about my bride, about my wife. As soon as she heard that from God and not just the nonchalant idea that I was talking, tossing out, man, she was ready to go. She said yes. She was praying for Council Bluffs, getting our house ready to sell, and we were off to the races. At first, it sounded like a crazy idea from me, and she said, by no means. But then when God spoke to her and made it clear he was calling us into it, her by no means turned into by all means. Yes, let's bring the gospel to Council Bluffs. Have you ever had an experience similar to that? 
God's tugging on your heart, putting an opportunity in front of you, calling you into something to start something new or move somewhere or build a relationship with someone or give some money away, cross a boundary, whatever it is, and your initial response is, by no means. Well, this morning we get to look at a story in the Bible where a humble and godly and praying church leader had his by no means moment. But with him too, God didn't back off. He moved in and his by no means turned into by all means. So let's pick it up. Acts chapter 10, starting at the beginning, verse 1. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, to the original audience reading the book of Acts, they would have been Jewish people. As soon as those Jewish people read verse 1 here, they would have gone, uh-oh, this is a bad guy. And he's working for the bad guy's military, and he's living in a bad city. But then verse 2 says, a devout man, Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So he was a bad man, he was one of them, but he was really nice to the good guys. He couldn't have been that bad. Maybe a little Bible trivia can help us understand what's going on here. In the Bible, there are by and large two groups of people, Jewish people and non-Jewish people. Jewish people and Gentiles. And the Gentiles were really good at reminding themselves that they were God's chosen people, his favored ones, his special ones that he chose, but not the Gentiles. Those Gentiles were dirty and disgusting. Those Gentiles ate the wrong kinds of food. They didn't wash their hands enough. They wore the wrong kind of fabric in their clothes. Those Gentiles oppressed and enslaved the Jewish people. Those Gentiles like Cornelius. So what the Jewish people did is they would let the Gentiles learn their laws and even pray their prayers, but they would never welcome them. They would never accept them as their friends and embrace them. It was unthinkable. It was unacceptable by no means. Well, the story in Acts 10 continues, and in verses 3 through 8, this Gentile named Cornelius has a vision where God himself acknowledges Cornelius and says, hey, Cornelius, I've heard your prayers. I'm going to answer your prayers. I want you to send for a certain man named Peter down in Joppa. So Cornelius does what God tells him to do. He sends a crew down to Joppa, and we, then we get Peter's side of the story, beginning in verse 9. Look at it with me. It says, the next day... As they were on their journey, that's the crew that Cornelius sent to Peter, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to what, church? Pray. Now, just pause there. I, I don't want us to miss this. Peter has seen God do amazing things. He has seen the church grow and multiply. Just in Acts chapter 9, Peter healed another lame man and raised a woman from the dead. I mean, Peter's on a roll. He is tasting success, but what do we find him doing here? He's getting away to pray. He's getting away to hear from God. He's hungry for more of Jesus. He's not giving in to success. He's not coming up with his own ideas or hitting cruise control. No, he's pulling away to pray and get with God. 
And as he prays, God gives him a vision as well. And in that vision, this big, huge, white sheet like comes down out of heaven. And on that sheet are all different kinds of animals. Uh, clean animals that Jewish people were allowed to eat. Unclean animals they weren't supposed to eat. Birds, reptiles, all that sort of stuff is on the sheet. And then we get every hunter's favorite verse. Acts 10, verse 13. It's biblical, y'all. There came a voice to him. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Some of you guys are like, hallelujah. I've been looking for that Bible verse. This Saturday, you're going to roll over and tell your spouse, honey, it's biblical. I got to rise, kill, and eat, but don't worry. I'll be back this afternoon. It's okay, right? So rise, kill, and eat. That's, we'd respond saying, oh, man, this is fun. This is awesome. But how did Peter respond? Look at verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter's like, no, no, heck no. God, you've gone too far. I am a clean, law-abiding, upstanding Jew. By no means. You see, Peter was thoroughly Jewish. He knew his Bible, and he had read all the different laws in the Old Testament, laws about don't eat this food, don't wear those clothes, don't walk this many steps on that particular day. And Peter was as Jewish as Jewish could be. As best as he could tell, he was trying to obey the Bible, and yet here it seemed like God was telling him to eat something unclean. So his response was, by no means. Peter's confused, he's perplexed, but even in that, God doesn't back off. God comes to him, and two more times, he gives him the same vision and says the same thing to him. Then we get verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what that whole vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius stood at the gate, Verse 19, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter's confused. He's inwardly perplexed, doesn't have all his questions answered. But then these guys show up at his house and the Spirit says, Hey, go with them. So what does Peter do? He goes with them, right? Just a few verses earlier, he was all by no means. And now he's in a chariot with a bunch of Gentile dudes on the way to a Gentile house in a Gentile city to share Jesus with a bunch of Gentiles. I love this. Peter's just taking it step by step. His questions aren't answered yet. The dots aren't connected yet, but he knows that God told him to go with these guys. So he gets in and goes with them. Then, in the story, when he gets to Cornelius' house, he's kind of like, oh, what do I do now? Uh, Cornelius, I don't really know how to do this Jew-Gentile thing. Uh, do you know what I'm supposed to do? Cornelius says, yeah, you're supposed to preach to me. Oh, yeah, that's right. So Peter then preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to Cornelius' whole household, tells them who Jesus is, what Jesus did for them, and as he preaches, something amazing happens. Something shocking, really. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, while he was still preaching Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Now put yourself in Peter's shoes. Okay, to this point in time, the gospel had grown and multiplied, but only to Jewish people. 
right? Like it had even gone to different cities and regions, but not to the Gentiles. Why? Because all those Jewish people didn't think to tell it to those dirty and disgusting Gentiles by no means. So as Peter was preaching Jesus to these Gentiles, he's probably expecting to get struck by lightning or the building to go up in flames or God to punish him for this somehow. But instead, God sends his Holy Spirit who falls on the Gentiles. God blesses them too. God welcomes them too. God brings them close as well. God is so pleased with what is going on that he sends his Holy Spirit to fall even on these Gentiles. So Peter's excited. He's fired up. And in the midst of his excitement, he says in verse 47, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Let's get them baptized. Let's do this. The Gentiles love Jesus, and Jesus loves the Gentiles too. Peter's by no means turned into God's by all means. By all means, get in the chariot with the Gentiles. By all means, go to the Gentile house. By all means, enter into his house and build a relationship. By all means preach Jesus to these Gentiles. By all means, God falls on them, shows that he blesses this and celebrates this. By all means, let's get them baptized. Peter's by no means turned into God's by all means. In City Light this morning, this morning I believe God is still doing the same thing, even in our midst. He's going to call some of us to be honest about our by no means, lay that down, and instead receive his by all means. Just like he did for Whitney, just like he did for Peter. He's going to call some of you to leap over hurdles, to cross over boundaries, to take steps even before the dots are connected and your questions are answered. Let me highlight two different ways that I think God might be calling us into this. First, God might be calling you to cross racial boundaries. Cross racial boundaries. In Acts chapter 10, remember, there were, by and large, two groups of people, Jewish and Gentile. And the Bible's really clear in the Old Testament that God chose the Jewish people as the people through whom he would carry out his plans for the world. God picked a special People, But what happened is those Jewish people really got proud of their chosen status. They started, God had told them that they, he picked them because they were the smallest and the weakest, but they got to thinking, oh yeah, we're the best and the brightest. God told them that they were stubborn, stiff, stiff-necked, and rebellious, and they started thinking, well, we're cleaned up and polished up better than these Gentiles. That was the culture Peter lived in, the air that he breathed. But Peter would have also known some Bible verses. He would have read the prophet Isaiah where it said that the Jewish people were meant to be a light to all nations. He would have read about God's heart for the outsider for all different kinds of people and all different kinds of races. I mean, Peter was there when Jesus himself said, go into all the world and make disciples of all all nations. It was clear, plain as day, in the Bible that Peter read, in the Jesus that Peter followed, but his culture around him was so soaked in racism that it took a startling vision from God to wake him up. What I've come to realize, church, is that our culture, my culture, 
is still marked by racism, both in our history and even in our present day. Our culture is marked by racism, but I can't blame the culture. I can't say, oh, it's their fault. It's that culture's fault. No, it's in me, right? I've got to wrestle with my heart, my sin, my struggles. And just for so long, I was unaware of it in me. And maybe you're having the same response I did. Maybe you're thinking, ah, you know what? I'm not a racist. That was my first response. But then as I dug into Acts chapter 10, it dawned on me. God didn't call Peter to not be a racist. God commanded and called Peter to go to someone unlike him, enter into his world, his house, connect with him, take a risk, build a relationship in the hopes of sharing Jesus. God didn't say, don't hurt those unlike you. He said, by all means, embrace them, connect with them, cross bridges, cross boundaries in the hopes of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those unlike you. City light, like, let's be honest. We live in a city that is 93% white. That's a lot of white. Like, that's a lot of bad dancing and lack of rhythm, okay? <laughs> but, but can you imagine with me, what if our church was more racially diverse than our city? What if your city group reflected God's heart for racial harmony more than the neighborhood around you? Wouldn't that say something about Jesus? Wouldn't that say how attractive Jesus is and how unifying Jesus is and how glorious Jesus is? Jesus calls us to cross boundaries. And some of you this morning, I know, you're going, by no means. That's for someone else to do. That's God's call for someone else. But what if God has called all of us some way, some big, some small steps to cross racial boundaries? What if God is inviting you to connect with your coworker or your classmate who comes from a different nation or speaks a different language or has a different skin color from you? If he's calling you to do that, then don't let your by no means get in the way. Instead, by all means, download Rosetta Stone. Take them out to lunch. Have them over for dinner. Cross bridges. Build relationships. Take a risk in the hopes that you get to share Jesus with someone who is unlike you. Amen? Second way I think God might be calling us into this. God might be calling you to cross geographic boundaries. Cross geographic boundaries. When Peter went to Caesarea, he was crossing a geographic boundary. Caesarea was a city in Israel that was designed and developed to honor Caesar, the Roman ruler. And here was Peter, like the most famous Jewish guy of his day, going into a Roman city. So when Peter went into Caesarea, he wasn't just crossing um, racial boundaries. He was also crossing geographic boundaries. And God still calls us to do the same thing today. For example, I love this. Did you guys know that uh, Chuck Kaiser, one of our pastors, and his wife, Jen, recently moved into West Council Bluffs on purpose, like intentionally knew they were moving there. They realized that uh, West CB was just underserved by our 
church. So when they were looking for a new house, they limited their search to West CB. God provided them a house. They bought it. Within a couple weeks, they had a city group going in there. And now there's so many people in our church who are wanting to reach other people in West CB that that city group's going to have to multiply just within a few weeks of getting started. Chuck and Jen said, yes, by all means, we'll cross geographic boundaries, go to a different part of our city that is underserved by us, bring the good news of Jesus there, and now there's other people inspired by that story, and we now have three city groups going in West CB, crossing geographic boundaries. Amen. Or let's take it international. I want to tell you about Daniel and Miriam Hutton. Chances are you may not have heard of them, but they're international workers that our church financially supports. Like when you give to our church, part of that giving goes to the Huttons. Dan and Miriam are a young couple with young kids, and Dan's a genius. Miriam is incredible. I mean, they could have stayed right here in these United States and had great career, made lots of money, lived a really wonderful life. But God kind of showed up to them like he showed up to Peter, and he told them to go to the Middle East. Well, Dan and Miriam said, yes. And now they're in the Middle East helping lead a school of theology, a a Bible school. Here's what happens. They provide full-ride scholarships to church leaders from all over the Middle East. They have students coming from Egypt, Palestine, Israel, Turkey, Iraq, Syria, Jordan. They come in, and for two years, everything gets paid for. They train them up in how to plant churches, and then they send them back to their homelands, and they plant churches in some of the most dangerous and difficult parts of our planet. All because Dan and Miriam said, yes, by all means, we'll go to the nations. By all means, we'll spread the good news of Jesus in the Middle East. City Light, God might be calling you to cross geographic boundaries. Maybe there's something stirring in your heart, even now or in the last few months, to go to a part of our city or to a part of our world. The Holy Spirit's knocked on your door once, maybe even twice. And if he is, can I just invite you, let your response be, by all means. My yes is on the table. God, whether it is the Middle East or Southwest Iowa or Kansas City or West CB, wherever you're calling me, my answer is already yes. And you might be saying, Doug, that sounds great, but I'm not qualified for that. I don't really have what it takes. And Peter did? Like, you know who Peter is, right? Peter was the guy who cut another guy's ear off with his sword. Peter was the guy who denied Jesus three times. Peter was the guy that Jesus pretty much called him Satan to his face, okay? So uh, Peter was uneducated, untrained, and untested. Guess what? Maybe you're not qualified. Maybe you're like me, and maybe you're like Peter. Join the club. It's a great club to be in. God isn't looking for the best and the brightest. He's looking for those who are hungry. He's looking for those who even after they've healed somebody and raised someone from the dead, they're going, I got to get more of Jesus. I got to steal away and pray. I got to steal away and hear from God. Peter didn't have all the qualifications, but he did have a hunger for God. And God took that hunger, put Peter through some transformations and took his by no means and made it by all means. So how, how did God change Peter? What were the transformations he went through? I think there were three transformations he went through that any of us can also go through. The first one is this. I think Peter got God's perspective. 
He got God's perspective. Look at verse 28. Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Now, here's the part to catch. But God has shown me. God has spoken to me. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Go to verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand now. I get it now that God shows no partiality. So Peter understood what his culture said about race. He understood what his culture said about geographic boundary crossing. But it wasn't until God pierced through that that Peter got God's perspective. And when Peter got God's perspective, everything else started changing. Second transformation he went through, Peter humbled himself. Peter humbled himself. When Peter got to Cornelius' house, a dream came true. Cornelius came up to him and bowed down to him. This was every Jewish person's dream, right? Finally, a Gentile is bowing down to me and telling me that I'm better than him. But what is Peter's response? In verse 26, Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. I'm no better than you. I'm no higher than you. I'm just a man. Peter gave just as much dignity and value and worth to Cornelius the Gentile as he gave to himself. So Peter got God's perspective. Number two, Peter humbled himself. And number three, Peter made Jesus famous. Peter made Jesus famous. It's interesting to me that the vision that God gave to Peter was all about like which foods he was able to eat. But when Peter actually got to Cornelius' house, what is oddly not even mentioned? Food, right? They didn't talk about did he eat this kind of food or that kind of food. No, when Peter got to Cornelius' house, it wasn't about favorite foods or cultural customs or certain kinds of music or the distance that was traveled there. Instead, it was all about Jesus. Peter preached Jesus, told them who Jesus is and all that Jesus had done for them. So yes, he crossed racial boundaries. Yes, he crossed geographic boundaries. But he did that for the sake and the fame of Jesus Christ. Maybe God's doing the same thing in us. You know, this morning, there's some of you guys who honestly, it's just time to sign up to go to the nations. I know that sounds wild. That sounds crazy. But you know the Holy Spirit's been knocking on your door once, maybe twice. And this morning's the time when you finally say, yep, I'll go to the nations. Others of you, your by all means moment is that you're going to start to get God's perspective. Do some Bible study. What does God say about race? What does God say about missions? Why do people sell all their stuff and move to Rwanda or to the Middle East? You're going to start getting God's perspective. For others of you, your by all means moment is you're going to start connecting with someone unlike you. Intentionally find that relationship. Take them out to lunch. Have them over for dinner. You're going to humble yourself to connect with them and enter into their world. That's going to be your by all means moment. City Light, crossing boundaries matters. It matters to God and it matters to us. The boundaries that Peter crossed in Acts chapter 10 are actually really small in comparison to the divine divide that separated us from God. 
we were the unholy ones, the unclean ones, the unrighteous ones. But God sent, not a church leader named Peter, no, God sent his only son, his very own son, to cross those boundaries, to come live among us, build relationship with us, experience our problems, our pains, yet remain sinless, and then die here among us and for us. That's the gospel. But Jesus didn't only do that for white, middle-class Iowans. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, give us a picture of all those for whom Christ died. Look at it with me. It'll be on the screen. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to Jesus, our city light. People from every nation, tribe, tongue, language will be gathered to the throne of Jesus to give him honor and praise and glory. Jesus is so unbelievably incredible so breathtakingly shocking, so astoundingly beautiful that he attracts all different kinds of people. He attracts tall, long, lanky guys like me. He attracts short-bearded hobbits like Eric. He attracts African-Americans and Latinos, the rich and the poor. He attracts Muslims who right now are suffering violence in the Middle East. He attracts orphans who are in Rwanda. He attracts hipsters who are in Kansas City and farmers who are in Southwest Iowa. He attracts the young and the old, your kiddos and your grandparents. He attracts the common and the uncommon, the clean and the unclean. Jesus attracts, he awakens, he wins, he satisfies, he saves all of them. That's our Jesus. And so yes, Jesus died for you. And he died for those who were unlike you. And he died for those who are far from you. So this morning, would you let him take your by no means and give you his by all means? Let's pray and ask him to do that. Oh, Father God, would you come and do this work in our midst even now? There's heart surgery that I've needed. There's heart surgery that we need. And Father, right now, I first I just want to pray for the Corneliuses who are in the room. Those who, like Cornelius, have been feeling a tug from you, and they were brave enough to show up in a church building and hang out with church people. Father, would you be speaking to them? Let them know that you've heard their prayers and that you care about them and you see them. And Father, even this morning, maybe I'm the Peter who they were supposed to hear about Jesus. Father, let them hear the gospel that Jesus knows them and loves them. And yes, they're sinners and they've pushed them away. But Jesus died for their sin. And oh God, this morning, let them believe your gospel. Let them put their faith in Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would you fall on them? Give them your gifts. Give them your power. Especially give them your love. And then, Father, I pray for so many in this room. For so many of us, we're Peter. We're the guy who's trying to figure out what in the world you're calling us into and does it make sense and what questions do I have? And this morning, I believe you're inviting us to be honest about our by no means. 
We all come with different barriers that we've built up and walls that we've put between us and your call on our lives. And Father, this morning I pray that you begin to help us get your perspective. There's some people who just need to start doing some Bible study on race and different cultures and what you say, what your heart is there. There's others who need to take steps to build relationships, extend grace, go deep into someone else's world. And Father, this morning there's some who get to say yes, who get the privilege of saying yes to going to the nations crossing geographic boundaries. So Father, I just pray that you would graciously and gently confirm that for them. If they came in with doubts about that, would you relieve those doubts? Let them hear your voice and your call on their lives. And church, even as we pray, can I invite you into this wrestle? Sometimes when some like international missions pops up, it's, it's easy to think, oh yeah, that's, that's someone else's thing. That's what those people do who just graduated from college. But man, if you're an empty nester, enter into this wrestle with us. If you're retired, enter into this wrestle. If you're a young family like the Huttons, enter into this wrestle. I'm not saying we're all supposed to pack up tomorrow and go to the Middle East, but I think we're all supposed to at least wrestle with this and pray about it and ask God, what if there's more? What if you're calling me to cross some boundaries? So I just want to invite you into the wrestle. Oh, Father, would you speak to us? Let us know and hear your voice. We pray in Jesus' good name, amen.